Thank you for tuning in to Bible Storming Podcast, a work of Scattered Abroad, which is overseen by the East Hill Church of Christ in Pulaski, Tennessee. You can find our website at scatteredabroad.org. In this podcast, our aim is to help you be intentional in how you think about the Bible. It is more than just reading the words. It is about diving deep into the text. So let's study together. Here is your host, Daniel Webster. What is up, Bible Stormers, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're continuing our study of an attribute of, of God that goes back in philosophy to before the time of Socrates. So Socrates lived, like I think it was around like 400 BC, and even before him, like a number of Greek philosophers had tried to identify which elements constituted all that exists. Like, I'm sure you've heard of this, that they eventually narrowed it down to four. So you've heard of these, earth, wind, fire, water, right? Some people thought that everything that exists was created out of fire. Other people thought that everything was ultimately created out of earth or, or a solid substance. Some people thought it was a, a variety of other elements, but those four, earth, wind, fire, water, were basically supposed to be constitutive of everything that exists. Notice how the Bible presents God as being in control of each of those elements. In number 16, verse 30 and following, the Bible describes a situation where Korah and his company rebel against Moses and Aaron. And the Bible says that God is going to create a new thing and open up a chasm in the earth and swallow up the rebels. And he does. God is able to take the earth and manipulate it, do whatever he wants with it. He has power over earth. God also has power over fire. Back in Numbers 11, when the children of Israel rebel against Moses, God sends fire down. They, they even named the place where this happened Taberah, which means burning in Hebrew, as a commemoration of the, of the judgment that fell from God on those rebels. So, so God shows us fire to manipulate fire. There are also many examples of God sending strong winds on bodies of water. Genesis 8.1 says that God caused a wind to pass over all the earth. So God controls the wind. The book of Jonah is just one example of God manipulating water. For, for example, you know, just a little tiny example, a worldwide flood. <laughs> so over and over again, the Bible stresses the power of God over the material elements. There can be no doubt that when, when we read the scripture, we serve a God who is almighty in every sense of the word. He has power that we as human beings cannot possibly have. And he does things that, that we cannot possibly understand because he's completely set apart and above us. But that idea, that, that idea of, of omnipotence raises some problems. We talked in the last episode about how God is almighty, about how he can do anything. The scriptures say both of those things explicitly, very plainly, but it seems obvious that there are some things that God cannot do. For example, can God act contrary to his own nature? If he has certain essential properties that, that make him who he is, then could he just act against those properties? For, for, for instance, could, could God commit adultery? Now, I, I feel wrong. I feel icky even saying that sentence, but but it's important to think about these things because committing adultery is completely against the nature of God. 
Well, another thing that's against the nature of God is being tempted. James 1.13, God cannot be tempted with evil. So it seems that, that, that that's something that God cannot do. Hebrews 6.18 says that it's impossible for God to lie. Titus 1.2 says that God cannot lie. So, on the one hand, God could do anything. On the other hand, there are some things that God cannot do. So it's important to note that omnipotence, in a strictly absolute sense, is an, ir- an irrational concept. Having all power, literally, is irrational. A truly omnipotent being, one without any bounds, would have to be able to eliminate his or her own power, which is completely irrational. So omnipotence in and of itself is, is an irrational concept. Also, specifically with God, what about logical impossibilities? Could, could God do something that's logically impossible? For example, could he have made it true that Jesus both came and died on the cross and that he did not come and die on the cross? Could God make a, a round square? Could, could he create a married bachelor? I would argue that he cannot do any of those things. Why? Because those are not things at all. It's technically incoherent. It's it's illogical. It's irrational to call something that is logically impossible a thing at all. As, As philosopher Richard Swinburne said, a logically impossible event is not an event. Just as as a dead person is, is not a person. It's something described by a form of words that purport, they try to describe an event, they seem like they describe an event, but do not describe anything. That, that it is conceivable to suppose what could occur, since the sentence that says that it, it, it occurred entails a contradiction. In other words, the, the words themselves are contradictory. It's not an actual thing. Now, this is a quote from C.S. Lewis, who, whom I, I love. C.S. Lewis was, was truly amazing in his thinking. Um, not that I agree with him on everything, of course, but he was a truly exceptional thinker. And this is kind of a long quote, and it has some long words in it but it's really an amazing quote. So just hang in there, try to catch what it means. I know it's tough when you're listening just like in an audio-only format, but just hang in there, try to catch what he's saying. C.S. Lewis said, You may attribute miracles to him, to God, but not nonsense. This is no limit to his power. If you choose to say, God can give a creature free will and at the same time withhold free will from it, you have not succeeded in saying anything about God. Meaningless combinations of words do not suddenly acquire meaning simply because we prefix to them the two other words, God can. It remains true that all things are possible with God. The intrinsic impossibilities are not things, they're not entities. It is no more possible for God than for the weakest of his creatures to carry out both of two mutually exclusive alternatives, not because his power meets an obstacle, but because nonsense remains nonsense even when we talk it about God. What a quote. (laughs) What an ending there. Nonsense remains nonsense, even when we talk it about God. Now, that comes from C.S. Lewis's book, The Problem of Pain. I believe it's chapter two, when he's beginning to connect the dots between omnipotence and omnibenevolence, or God's love for people. Really great book. But anyway, so that's where you can find that if you're looking for it. But even the, the atheist philosopher Nicholas Everett says, to say that something is logically impossible is precisely to exclude it from the realm of the doable. So to say that God cannot do what is logically impossible is not to say that his power is limited in any way. Now, that's an atheist that's saying that. 
That which is logically impossible is is not something that's doable or, or that even exists. It's just an incoherent collection of words that pretends to describe an event or a thing or a thought, but logically speaking, it doesn't actually describe anything. There is no ability that can make those logical contradictions happen in reality. They're, they're just contradictory combinations of words. There's no such thing as a round square. It's just a verbal, logical contradiction. Now, therefore, God's power does not need to include something that's not actually a thing. He can still do anything that's, that's not limited by this, but they aren't actually things. Now, what does this mean for the omnipotence paradoxes? Specifically, can God create a rock so heavy that he cannot lift it? That's the most famous version of the, the many omnipotence paradoxes. I think the answer is that just like the other things, that a round square is not a thing and then a married bachelor is not a thing, just like those, this is not a thing at all, really. Just like those, this, this merely represents a, a purely logical limit on God's power. And I would argue that logic is based in the nature of God himself. It's a reflection of his own essence and nature, and that God acts in logically consistent ways. And if we allow the Bible to define its terms and tell us what it means that God can do anything, then all the problems we just talked about can immediately vanish in a puff of logic. So here's a simplified biblical definition of omnipotence that I think is usable. Now, if you look in like, philosophical papers and stuff, omnipotence gets really complicated. Like the definitions of it are incredibly complicated. But this is a a really simplified definition that I think is usable. God can bring about any state of affairs which is logically possible for anyone to bring about in that situation. Now I get this this definition from William Lane Craig, the, the philosopher. God can bring about any state of affairs which is logically possible for anyone to bring about in that situation. So if anyone in that situation would be capable of bringing about that state of affairs, then God is capable of bringing about that state of affairs. That means that God cannot create a married bachelor around square, a rock so heavy that he cannot lift it. He cannot do those things. Now some people, known as absolutists, would define omnipotence in even broader terms. They would say that God can, in fact, create a rock so heavy that he cannot lift it. But I don't think this definition is 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 wrong necessarily, but it, it I don't think that it completely gets the whole picture. I think it turns a blind eye to the fact that there are some things God simply cannot do. Now this some of these are laid out explicitly in scripture. He cannot be tempted, he cannot lie. Being omnipotent doesn't mean being limit, unlimited in ability. It simply means having the ability to do anything that is logically possible for anyone to do. Now, how does that definition relate to the paradoxes that we talked about? Well, no one could bring about the state of affairs of God's acting contrary to his own nature. No one can make God commit adultery. God cannot commit adultery. That's simply logically impossible. So no one has that power. No one can create a square circle or a married bachelor or a stone too heavy for God to lift because those are simply logically incoherent. They are not things that could exist. So when God, when the scripture says that God can do all things, I think, or anything, as Jesus says, I think what it means is, is what this defi- definition says. He can bring about any state of affairs, which is logically possible to bring, a, for, uh, to bring about for anyone in that situation. Now, if you're a Christian, talking like this may make you feel a, a little icky. Like, it, it may seem wrong. It, it seems like it limits God, right? 
It seems to say that, that God is no more powerful than any human could be. It seems to fail to acknowledge that he can do things that no one else can do. Things like Paul said in Romans 4, we talked about in the last episode, he can create something out of nothing. He can raise the dead. But when we say anyone, that would include God as well, because he's someone who is in that situation. Hopefully that makes sense. So when we say anyone, we're simply putting that there to include God, not to limit him. Now, this underscores one of the dangers, like this whole conversation underscores one of the dangers of using words that everyone thinks they know the definition of instead of letting the Bible define its own words. When the Bible calls God almighty, it does not include the power to lie or to be tempted or to create another God, right? Those are not things that are possible for one in God's situation to do. Now, putting it another way, Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Whatever God wills and wants to do, he does. One atheist put forth a challenge of, of flargling a snuffin. Can God flargle a snuffin? His point was against absolutism, which what we just mentioned, those people who think that God can do logical impossibilities. Now, those words are just gibberish words that he came up with that mean nothing, that they have no established definition. I'm not trying to put down what he said. I actually agree with him on this, this point. No one can flargle a snuffin. But that's not a limit on God. It's a simple problem of language. It's like my mashing random characters on my laptop keyboard and, and, and then turning the screen to you and say, here, do this. There, there's simply nothing to do. God cannot fulfill a challenge if no coherent challenge is actually given. This is the same thing as asking if God can create a married bachelor. By definition, a bachelor is an unmarried man. So creating a married bachelor is the same thing as creating a married man who is also not married. It's a logical contradiction. The set of all things that are married is mutually exclusive, putting this in, in formal logic terms, to the set of all things that are not married. So the rules of logic forbid me from ever recognizing a successful outcome. Again, that's not a limitation on God, but another limitation on language itself. The very words used to formulate the challenge are simply put together wrongly. The challenge of God's creating rock so heavy he cannot lift it is a similar problem. That, that's simply not something someone in God's situation could do. It's not a limit on God's power so much as it is a problem of language. The problem isn't on God's end, it's on ours. The only quote-unquote limits on God's power are purely logical. That is to say, they're not really limits at all. In one sense, to do a task that is logically impossible, like we've been saying, is not a task at all. That's just a self-contradictory combination of words. So it's not any kind of inhibition or, or limit on God. And that's how most theists historically, and I want to talk more about that in just a second, but that's how most theists throughout history would answer the omnipotence paradox. But also, if you say that God can do the logically impossible, then it's also no problem. He can make a stone too heavy for him to lift and, and then lift it. And if you say, well, that's logically contradictory, well, all right, he can do the logically impossible. So either way, it doesn't seem to be an inhibition of God's power. Now, as we close out this episode, I just want to say this. Anselm, he lived like a thousand years ago. I think he lived like in the 1100, something like that. He said, God cannot be corrupted or lie or cause what is true to be false, as for example, to cause what has been done not to have been done, or many such other things, many other such things. So it's not like an atheist recently raised some objections to this understanding of omnipotence. 
And Theus had to scramble to change the definition in a panic, right? Like they had to look back at the Bible and try to figure out, oh no, it can't mean what we always thought it means. So we have to figure out something new. No, this, this has been theism's basic understanding of omnipotence for centuries. So this isn't something new. I'm not trying to introduce some new doctrine. This is, this is what theists have understood omnipotence to mean for centuries. The only problem is that there, there are Christians today, and it's, it's great, right? It's one of those problems. Like Paul said in Romans that there are some, some people who have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Now, it's very easy to do that, and I know I do that in so many areas, but especially in this area, it seems to happen a lot, where Christians that have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, they haven't actually thought through these problems, and they're confronted with this paradox, or with some version of, of the omnipotence paradox, and they don't know what to say. So, the thing to say is simply that the problem that they are proposing is really not a problem at all, because it's not a thing that exists in reality. It's pretty simple, pretty deep, and very fun. So, in the next episode of the Bible Storming Podcast, we're going to just have a quick, brief episode, the very last one of this first season, actually, talking about what omnipotence means for us. What, what are the practical ramifications of God's omnipotence? What does it mean for our lives? So, I'm excited for that. Can't wait to see you there. I think that's dropping a week from today. So, looking forward to that. And until then, keep on Bible Storming. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Scattered Abroad Network. If you would like to email us, you can do so at thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. That's thescatteredabroadnetwork at gmail.com. Remember, you can check the show notes below for all of our social media platform links. Also, don't forget that you can find us on all major podcast platforms, and please leave us a rating or review. We hope and pray that this has helped you grow closer to Christ even though we are scattered abroad. May God bless you.